0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Great to have you with us. And uh, welcome if you're joining us here live in the building or if you're tuning in online as well. Great to have you tuning in and uh, joining us virtually. Uh, My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the director of ministries, actually. And uh, just uh, absolutely thrilled and actually humbled to be a part of this series called Choosing Joy. And if you haven't been with us or you're newer, Uh, We have been in this series called Choosing Joy, and what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Philippians, and we're kind of dissecting it, and I just say it's been so good for me, because we're pulling out the truths of what Paul is teaching us about joy. And I know, and uh, it sounds cliche, but it's so true that I really could use a lot more joy (laughs) in my life, because it doesn't take much to discourage me these days, it seems like, so I need all the help I can get, and there's so much wisdom in the book of Philippians. So today, we're going to look at the second half of chapter three. Pastor Brent talked about the first half last week. Today, we're going to look at the second half of chapter three. So much good stuff in here. Today, it's my goal to kind of show you like we can be assured of having joy in our future. So let's just talk about that for a moment because here's the sad truth. Every one of us is rushing towards the future at a rate of 60 seconds per minute. 60 minutes, an hour, whether we like it or not. The future is coming. So i got to ask us this question. What is your attitude toward the future, towards your future? Are you excited? Do you, do you get excited thinking about what God is doing in your life? And do you have joy in the future? Or is it maybe a little bit more kind of doom and gloom? So let's just imagine that there really is such thing as a time machine. Okay, Humor me. Let's say we have a time, we're talking one of those HG Wells kind, or maybe, maybe Bill and Ted's phone booth. Remember Bill and Ted? Or let's let's go one better, right? The DeLorean car from Back to the Future. So cool, such a cool time machine. Now let's just imagine that this existed. By the way, I had to chuckle this past Christmas. Someone posted this picture on social media and uh, of the DeLorean smashing into the manger scene, and the caption said, this is why God doesn't allow time travel. (laughs) And I thought, that's just, I (laughs) I laughed at that, and it's probably true. We just screw everything up, right? But there's been this interest, like time travel's just been this exhaustive theme, right? We see it in TV shows, we see it in movies. People are fascinated by this concept of time travel. So let me ask you, if you had the ability and I'm going to be mean, within your lifespan, to go forward or backwards in your life, which one would you choose? Would you go back and try to relive, you know, like those glory days or those glorious moments? Or would you go back and try to fix something or redo something, a mistake you made? Or would you take the other side and say, you know, actually, I think I'd rather go into the future because I, it's driving me nuts not knowing what's, gonna, what's coming down the pipe. I, I just want to see how things turn out. Which way would you flip? I'd be curious to, to hear what you guys would say. But you can only choose one. Well, I'd be willing to bet that we'd be somewhere split, that some of you are like, I don't even want to go back to my past. I just, I'm super curious about the future. Well, we don't have time machines. But what if I did tell you that we have the next best thing? You see, because of God's power in our lives, we actually have the ability to build a wonderful, joy-filled future. And we're going to talk about that today, about how to move towards the future with joy. And I'm convinced that the future, by the way, and joy, actually have a lot to do with each other. For example, if you find yourselves worrying about the future your joy quotient is probably pretty low. But if you find yourself excited about your future and what God's going to do in your life, your joy quotient is probably pretty high. So there is a correlation between our future and joy. In this text we're going to look at today, I believe that Paul, he's going to kind of show us, and I didn't have the right word, so I'm just going to say this. He's going to kind of show us the secret sauce of how to have joy in our future. Now remember, remember Paul's situation. He's in prison when he wrote this. He has no idea if if he's even going to see tomorrow. He could have been facing the death penalty at any moment. Yet Paul demonstrates and has joy for his future because I'm convinced that he learned to focus on one thing. One thing. Guys, I just got to tell you, as as I prepared for this message... I went back and I read this passage of Scripture over and over, and it's so meaty. There's so much here. And as I read it over and over and over, I kept coming back again and again to this one tiny phrase. And for some reason, every time I hit it, my eyes would stop and I would think on it. And it was like a needle in my brain. Like I didn't want to think about it anymore, but I kept pausing on this. And here's the phrase that he says, that grabbed my attention again and again. Here's what he says in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. But one thing I do. Notice that Paul, he's going to lay out one goal. He says, I only want to shoot at one bullseye, one thing I do. It's singular. Paul doesn't want us to get distracted by everything else in the world. Paul doesn't want to get distracted by anything else in the world. Remember what Pastor Brent taught us last week? That all the distractions, all the things in this world, what did Paul consider them? Scoobalon. Thank you so much, Pastor Brent, for teaching my junior high son a new swear word, by the way. So happy. Uh, but Paul makes it clear, it's, I don't care about it. It's all scuba on. He makes it clear to have joy, I'm going to focus on this one thing. So this got me thinking, what is that one thing? Rewind to verse 12, and I'm going to show you this. This just gripped me this week. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I want to say that phrase again. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Friends, do you know what Jesus Christ grabbed a hold of Paul with? Do you know what he grabbed a hold of you with? it was love. Love. Pure, perfect, unconditional love. I heard a theologian put it this way, friends. He said, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was love. Love for you. So when Paul says, man, I want to take hold of the same thing that Jesus has already grabbed a hold of him with, it was love. I'm so convinced of this this is the secret sauce. This is the one thing that we should strive to do every day. But one thing I do, but one thing I do, this is the bullseye we aim at if we want joy in our future. Don't believe me? Jesus confirmed this. What did he do? He gathered his followers together and he says, you guys, do you want me to just whittle this all down, boil this all down to one thing? He says, you know what? The most important thing you can do, I'll tell you. He said this in Mark 12. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There it is. Boil it all down and focus on that loving me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So friends, I would challenge us, and I believe that if we really want a joy-filled future, we should aim at doing one thing, Pressing on towards one thing, and that's loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength every day. Man, this is the bullseye that Paul wanted to aim for every day of his life. This is the goal he wanted to press on to achieve. But one thing I do I love God with everything I got, and I do it every day. This is how I believe he had joy for his future no matter what was coming. Now, let's be honest. Real life makes this really tricky to do, doesn't it? How many of you, when you wake up on any given day, your brain automatically goes, Oh my goodness, I've got like a hundred things I got to get done today. You see, Paul had joy in his life because he was able to bring it all down to this one thing to do, but one thing I do. Now, some of you are thinking, How is that possible? I was thinking, How is that possible? Man, I still got to get groceries and do the laundry and walk the dog, and I still got to go to work. How do you do just one thing? Now, I've had this experience thousands of times, you guys. If you get up in the morning, and, and I, I go downstairs, and I, I try to do a quiet time, and the moment I pull out my Bible or I open up my Bible app it's and my butt hits the chair, my brain Instantly fills up with all the things that I got to do in a minute day. Can anybody relate to this? It's super distracting. And then here's the cool thing is oftentimes God will just kind of gently remind me when I'm getting distracted, he says, You know, Josh, just, just chill. <laughs> you know, there's really only one thing that I want you to do today. Just love me with all you got. And you know what? And I'll smile at you in that. And you know what? I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. And when that thought comes into my mind, there's something that happens to the pressure that I feel about those 100 things. That pressure is relieved. Because now I can press on at just doing one thing, and I have to worry about the 100. I get it. You might only get 50 of your 100 things done. But what did God say? God says, just love me, and I'll take care of of the rest. Think about it. If you've got a clear, focused, singular thing that you're aiming at every day like Paul did, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it simplifies life. It simplifies and it relieves the pressure so that you can press on. It's way easier to aim at one thing, you guys, than aiming at 100. It just is. Now, this sounds nice, right? What does that look like? Okay, let me give you an example as I thought about this. Let's say going to the grocery store is one of those hundred things that I got to do. My wife, bless her heart, she makes me a list. She says, here's the list. I need you to go to the grocery store. So I go to Hy-Vee. I got my list. I get my cart. I start rolling around Hy-Vee. And I round the corner a little too quick. And I smash my cart into Grumpy Guy. And I, I like, oh, I feel really bad, so I try to make a quick joke. I'm like, oh, hey, I didn't know it was bumper cart day. That, okay, that wasn't funny. But anyways, so, and grumpy guy, instead of chuckling, he just kind of glares at me, and he says, get out of my way, you little fart. Now, I've got a choice in that moment. Here's what I'd probably, my flesh would want to do. It'd be like, well, same to you, jerk. And I would just walk off. Now, let me ask you this question. Is that response loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and all my strength? No. I missed the bullseye. But you can say, okay, let me take it a step further because I could be polite in, with my actions. I could be like, I'm so sorry, sir. And I could walk, I could go on my way and be polite to the guy. But I, here's what I could do in my head because I know you do this in your head. Here's where my brain goes, God, I hope as that guy's pushing his cart out to to his car that another car goes by and hits his cart and sends his groceries flying everywhere. That would be awesome. Now let me ask you, with that thought, did I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and all my strength? No, I didn't. So what do I do? I bring that into alignment and I say, I walk away from grumpy guy and I say, God, I, I don't know what's going on in this poor guy's life. And he, maybe there's some pain there. Maybe he's having a bad day. But God, I just, I just want to pray for him and that you would put your hand on his life. Some, just reveal yourself to him. Is that loving God with everything I got? You bet it is. How do I know that that was fulfilling, loving God with everything? Because Jesus actually told me so. What did he say in Matthew 25? He said this. He said, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So what does Paul say? This one thing I do, it's clear, it's focused, it's singular, it's what we should strive for, it's what we should press on for every day. And I know that's not as simple as it sounds. I know. Life is tough. So here's the cool thing. Paul actually shares some other things in this passage to be aware of to help us strive towards doing that one thing. Let me show you four things that Paul's going to flesh out in the rest of this passage to help us bring into alignment, to press on towards loving God with everything we got. Four things. The first one is this. He actually encouraged us be a little discontent with yourself be discontent with yourself. Here's what he says about himself. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He knew he wasn't perfect. But I press on. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved this. Friends, Paul realized he was not perfect. He knew he had not arrived. He knew there were still things that he had to work on. But he also was not content to stay put. He writes, I haven't achieved this. I haven't become perfect, but I'm going to keep pressing on. I don't want to stay put. What he's talking about here is this kind of this holy dissatisfaction with his life. He desired to grow and change and mature and be better, and that's a good thing. To mature, to be better. Why is this important? Because God cares way more about your holiness than your happiness. God wants to make you better. He saves you, but he doesn't leave you there, you guys. He wants to work out perfecting you because he knows that's going to bring more joy to your future. Here's here's the image that I have. I love this picture. Have you guys ever seen molten gold? What they do is they gather gold. They put it in, I guess it's a cauldron or something, and they heat this gold until it's molten. It's just liquid gold. And what they and they increase the heat and they keep the heat on that and as it's heated, something happens. All the impurities in the gold rise to the surface. And then some guy or gal takes the skimmer and they go over and they skim the top layer of junk, dross, off the gold, and they go whack and they flick it away. And then they apply some more heat to that gold and more impurities they come to the surface. And they take that skimmer and they go, they wipe that, all that junk off, all the dross, and they go, whack, and they flick it away. And they're working on making that gold as pure and perfect as possible. That's what it's like. Sometimes things, hard things in life happen, you guys. It can be big things, it can be little things, but they happen nonetheless. These are the moments for us to grow and what? Press on like Paul says. James was another author in the Bible. He was a brother of Jesus. He wrote, James understood this. Here's what he said. Look what he says. Brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great what? Joy. There it is again. It's an opportunity for joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Don't even sing. Some of you caught that joke. Some of you didn't. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Paul realized and understood this concept, too, that hardship and troubles are what create the environment for growth. Let me just come back to my point here for a second, my point of being a little discontent with yourself. Notice that I did not say be discontent with your circumstances. I'm not talking about being content with our circumstances. I'm talking about being content with ourselves. We should have a little bit of discontentment with ourselves. The moment we get comfortable, the moment we think we've got it all figured out and that we've arrived, that's dangerous. You see, the Bible actually teaches us to be content with our circumstances and know that the circumstances that God places us in are there to create some discontentment with ourselves. So why? So we'll grow. But you know what we do? Oftentimes we get those flipped. We reverse those, don't we? We're content with where we're at, and we pray and ask God to change our circumstances, don't we? God says, you can't change your circumstances, but you can change and grow yourself. Let me just say a word about grace here, because, you know, this this idea of discrimination. I'm one of these people, and maybe you're one of these people, who can be really good at beating yourself up. I'm a pro at this. It's so easy for me to strap on the boxing gloves when I screw up and just go to town on myself. I can give myself a mean right hook. I can Oh, Josh, you blew it again. You're an idiot. You screwed up. What do I want to do? I'm, just, I'm going to beat myself up so I don't even get up anymore. Friends, that is not what God has for your life. And I actually would encourage you that in those moments when you make a mistake, show yourself some grace. Anytime that you make a mistake and you feel like you're worthless, like you're no good... I'm telling you, those are not messages from God. Those are messages from the enemy. Why? Because he wants you to stay down. He doesn't want you to get back up, but that's not God. God will come alongside you. And he says, no, you screwed up, yeah, but come on, take my arm. Get back up. Let's press on. Show yourself some grace, because I'm showing you grace. Now let's move forward. It's okay to be a little discontent with yourself, but it's not okay to beat ourselves up. The second thing we need to work on, you guys, to make sure we're we're, we're striving and aiming at that one thing is we have to let go of past griefs, guilts, and glories. This is what Paul said in verse 13. He said, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Forgetting what is behind And straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Have you guys ever found yourselves thinking about the past? Past mistakes, past guilts, past regrets. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I really do wish I could go back in time with the DeLorean time machine and do that over again. I I do this all the time. I have all these memories, all these things that I replay in my head. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could go and do that over again. Or... Maybe you found yourself in, the, in the, you know, this side of the boat. You're like, why can't it be like it used to be? Why can't we go back to the good old days? Friends, we can't go back. We just can't. But Paul says this, I forget what lies behind. How do you do that? What does that look like, Paul? I forget what's behind me. How do you forget what lies behind, especially if it's some sin that someone's committed against you? Some forgiveness that needs to be given. How do you do that? Well, I find that we have the most difficulty forgetting the negative things that happened in our lives, don't we? So how do we forget? I mean, these brains that we have, they are capable of cataloging countless memories every second for up to 90 years. So how do you just forget that? When I talk about forgetting, I think the most... Most of the time, I know that what comes to our minds is some forgiveness that needs to be given. And I've found that in our own human strength, it's impossible. It's impossible to forget and forgive. That is where I need God's power and love the most. But I also believe this. You break the power of the past by living for God's future and what he has for you. Webster defines forgetting as to treat with inattention or disregard. So forgetting doesn't mean it's not cataloged in the file of your mind anymore. Of course it's still there. It's still there. It just means that you treat it with disregard. It, to, to forget, it means I'm no longer influenced by that memory. I'm no longer influenced by those negative things that happen. If you find that your, your feelings and your attitudes, your behavior towards someone is still influenced by painful things in the past, then you're still being influenced by them. You know what it's like? It's, lying, it's like trying to press on while doing the bungee cord run. Have you guys ever seen this carnival bungee cord run? We've had them here a few times. They're, we've got a picture of it. They're absolutely hilarious. What you do is you get on this inflatable, and, and you strap yourself into a bungee cord. And then you and another idiot decide to run as fast as you can in the other direction. Until, you know, the, the bungee goes taut and then it yanks you back to where you started. It's, it's absolutely hilarious to watch. I love watching people do this. But it's such a, such a good picture of not being able to let go of the past. Friends, every time you want to press on, if you can't let go of the past, you get yanked backwards. When you're tethered to the past and allow it to still influence you, you won't be able to move forward. You have to undo the harness of bitterness and envy and regret. Every time you withhold compassion, empathy, or sympathy from someone who hurt you, you stay tethered to that cord. You've got to learn to take the harness off if you truly want to press forward. You got to let go of past griefs, guilts, and glories. The third thing Paul encourages us, if you really want to hit this bullseye, here's the third thing you need to do. You need to find positive examples Find positive examples. He says this in verse 17. He says, join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Imitate me. Now that may sound kind of strange, almost a little bit arrogant for Apostle Paul. I mean, this isn't like Jesus. This sounds like something Jesus should say, imitate me. But Paul says it, imitate me. He says, join with others in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Now, the root word for imitate is where we get our English word mimic. I love that. Mimic the ones that are getting it right. He also says, observe those who live according to the example you have in us. That's the Greek word observe, skopos, observe. We get from that word to scope out something microscope, telescope. That's what we get. He says, really scope out those people who are living a godly life, who are loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and watch them. Put the telescope on them. Put them under the microscope. Really see how they're living and imitate their lives because that's the way to live if you want to have joy in your future. He's teaching us some really important principles about human examples and imitation. The truth of the matter is, whether we like it or not, we will follow human examples. We're drawn to imitate other humans. Even if you're the greatest leader in the world, other people are going to have influence on your life. It's inevitable. So Paul's saying, let's at least try to imitate the good examples and not the bad. Watch and learn from the ones. Scope them out. Find the ones who are seeking to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now now let me remind you of this. (laughs) Any human example is going to fail you someday. They just are. Even the Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. So when you imitate, when you learn to observe and, and pick up good habits from people who are loving God, we need to be very careful never to worship that human example. Do you know why? Because if you worship that example, then when they fall, you're going to fall with them. We need to imitate the good things, but not worship them. Why is this so important to Paul when he says, Follow my example, imitate me? Because he knew the power of examples and he knew how many bad examples there were out there. Friends, Philippi was filled with bad examples. In fact, he actually talks about some of those bad examples. And it absolutely breaks his heart. He kind of pours his heart out. Here's what he says in verse 18. He says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Says this, he says, I've often told you, I'm going to say it again now with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. What Paul is saying is that people's conduct, the way they live, the way they behave, it's speaking to those around them that they don't want anything to do with Christ. Why? Why? Because of the challenge it's going to put upon their lives. And they don't really want to change. They don't want to lose, for example, their business that maybe they're getting through dishonest means. I don't know. So Paul says this. He says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is on earthly things. I think he's kind of giving us a list of what not to imitate. And I, I read some commentaries. I studied these phrases. And, and here's what I think they mean, just really briefly. When he says their destiny is destruction. He says, man, they're, they're going the wrong direction. They're just lost. They're, they're, they're off in right field. And who, why would you want to imitate someone who's going the wrong direction? He says their God is their stomach. That means they've got the wrong priorities. They've got the wrong appetites. He says their god is what they eat. Not literally food, but he's saying they pursue earthly or material pleasures and they just get get and none of it is ever going to satisfy. He says don't don't be like that. Don't follow that example. He says their glory is in their shame. These are people and they've just they've got the wrong values. And isn't that true in our society today? There's a lot of that, right? Some people they glory and they're proud of things that they should actually be ashamed of. And Paul says, Don't imitate that. He says their mind is on earthly things. These are the people they've just they've got the wrong focus. They're just distracted. He says, Don't don't imitate that. Paul's saying since there's so many people out there moving the wrong direction, find the ones moving in the right direction and imitate them. We know they're not perfect. Yes, they're going to stumble and fall just like you and me, but find somebody who's moving the right direction. Get alongside of them. See what they're doing. Imitate them. Scope them out. And by doing this, you will avoid imitating the plethora of negative examples available today. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do. My last point. Paul says this. You really want to aim at the bullseye? Remember your true citizenship. Don't forget who you belong to. He says this in verse 20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. Our citizenship is in heaven. Friends, Maybe someday we'll meet some of these Philippians. We don't know who they are, but Paul reminds them of one great truth. He says, remember, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, this is a snapshot. This is a picture that the Philippians could totally understand when he said this. See, let me give you a real quick history. Philippi was a Roman colony. You see, here and there at strategic military centers, the Romans established their colonies. And in such places... The citizens were mostly soldiers who had served their time 21 years and had been rewarded with full citizenship. And the great characteristic of all these colonies, like Philippi, was that wherever they were, they remained fragments of Rome. That means Roman-style clothes were worn, Roman magistrates governed, Latin was spoken, Roman justice was administered, and Roman morals were observed. Friends, even in the most remote regions, they were unshakably Roman. Paul is saying to the Philippians, just as the Roman colonists never forget that they belong to Rome, you must never forget that you are citizens of heaven, and your conduct should match your citizenship. Friends, as Christians, as a Christ follower, you carry around heaven with you, even though you're not there yet. You know why? Because Christ lives in you. So you do the things that God would have you do. You you live the kind of way God would have you live. You let his justice reign in your life. You always understand that this isn't my home. You're not a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of heaven. Friends, if if nothing else gives you joy for your future, this point should. You are citizens of heaven. The greatest kingdom that will ever reign. Find joy in that. I I want us all, myself included I I want us to be challenged to think about our days not living like we got to accomplish a hundred things every day I want us to live our life pressing on to saying God there's one thing I want to do but one thing I do but one thing I'm going to do today God I'm going to love you with all my heart with all my soul with all my strength and with all my mind every day and I believe that is gonna create joy in our future because God's gonna say, if you do that, I'll take care of the rest. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just, I say it again and I can't say it enough. Thank you for your crazy love. Die hard Super gluish, cement love. That when you grabbed a hold of us, you never let go. And you never will. And so, God, as you're holding on to us, help us to just grab a hold of you with the same vigor. And to say, God, I want to live every day loving you back. So, help me to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and all my strength every day. Because God, I know that's going to produce joy in my future, Lord. As we go into our week, bless us. Fill us with your love so that we can love you back perfectly. We pray this and we ask this in the strong name of Jesus.